religious orders attacked and compromised district attorneys. In this 32nd episode of Church and State, Brian McCall and Christopher Ferrara address how the hypocrisy of liberalism has resulted in laws being wielded in favor of injustice. Under tyranny and irrationality, the model is a prosecution in search of a crime. And how Francis fits what St. Pius X described as the modernist heretic as reformer, attempting to destroy everything that is Catholic. Welcome to another episode of Church and State with Chris Ferrara and Brian McCall. It's good to see you, Chris. It's been a little while since we've gotten together, mostly because I had a bad cold for a while, and you had been talking to yourself. I had no voice. <laughs> I'm recovering from one, actually. It seems that the vaccination regime has unleashed all kinds of new variants, <laughs> thanks to the vaccinated, from whom we have to be protected. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know, you know, a good friend of mine, Ann Rao, John Rao's wife, Yes. Going to some event, and they wanted to know what her medical status was, and she says, oh, I'm fine. I'm not vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it is funny. It's not our topic, but... Oh, actually, we shouldn't use the word vaccination. I'll pull it down from YouTube. That's true. <laughs> no. But, um, you know, where I live and spend most of my time in two pretty red states, you kind of forget people are still doing this, but I... Actually, there was a blue state that was looking for people to write questions for their bar exam, so I put my name in the hat. And they sent me a thing, say, oh, before you go any further, here's the contract you'll have to sign. Now, remember, I'd be doing this in my office 3,000 miles away from anywhere in California. You have to be fully vaccinated. (laughs) (laughs) To submit a question. To submit questions for their bar exam. This is obviously a sacramental at this point. Yeah. Of Democrat. I wrote an article which is being published as uh, part of a compendium of articles mm-hmm. in Italian and English. It's in connection with a, a research group. I gave a talk at Ave Maria University about the related subjects. So they're doing a book on this. And I indicate that you can neatly map vaccination requirements according to the political party in control of a given political subdivision. So wherever the Democrats are, that's where you'll find the vaccine mandates. <laughs> Uh, speaking of which, the, uh, one of the J6 defendants uh, who's being charged with violating his probation or parole conditions uh, said that he went to watch a trial in Washington, D.C., and he got sick of it after 15 minutes because all the jurors were sitting in the jury box with double masks on. Having been multiply vaccinated, they're wearing double masks. This is a sick cult yeah. surrounding COVID-19 which is basically a cult of submission to political power, i.e. the Democrat Party. That's why you have to be vaccinated to submit a question for a law, a bar exam. Unbelievable. Well, speaking of submission to a corrupt regime, that's our first story. So as we're recording this, there have been rumors buzzing around that the a grand jury in New York City and Manhattan is going to indict former President Donald Trump uh, he, that he's going to be arrested and hauled in front of a judge. Um, and it's not so much about Donald Trump and whether he did or didn't do anything or had some immoral affair with some woman. It's really about the weaponization of the justice system and the turning this country into a banana republic. 
Because this guy, this district attorney in name only, basically got elected, got put in the job saying, I am just going to indict Donald Trump. That's my mission. We know from our friends, the Rouse, I mean, crime has never been worse in New York City. So really, I mean, this is what you used to read about in third world countries. You know, oh, there's somebody running against the current leader. Well, you make up some charges, something, and throw them in jail so they can't run against you. I mean, is that as where we've really come? Has this country really sunk that far? Oh, it's indisputable. They've concocted a flimsy charge, which is normally a misdemeanor, falsification of a business record. The theory is they paid the hush money to Stormy Daniels, $130,000, according to a non-disclosure agreement with pseudonyms. So Donald Trump's name isn't in the agreement. Stormy Daniels' name isn't in the agreement. Michael Cohen told the Federal Election Commission through his attorneys that Donald Trump had nothing to do with it. He used his own money. Donald Trump did not reimburse him directly or indirectly. This just came out yesterday. Hmm. And so the Federal Election Commission has no jurisdiction over the matter. It's not even arguably a campaign expenditure. Hmm. So that just just hit the uh, case that Bragg was trying to bring with a torpedo below the waterline. It's sinking fast. So I think the grand jury cancellation of yesterday, Wednesday session, and today's session, Thursday, indicates there's huge dissension going on within the DA's office and perhaps with the grand jurors themselves who don't want, don't want to be hijacked into a patently frivolous, concocted criminal prosecution designed to get one man. Right. Unprecedented. The nature of the prosecution, its utter flimsiness is unprecedented. On top of that, there's the unprecedented attempt, first time in American history, to indict a former president for a made-up charge. And why? Why? Because Donald Trump, and this is, I've been following politics for 40 plus years is the first legitimate outsider ever to be elected to the office of the president. And what he did when he was in power for four years was to demonstrate that the people in charge of the deep state or the permanent bureaucracy, whatever you want to call it, are absolute incompetence. And all you needed to do was get somebody in there who knows how to make a deal. And he started making deals and dropping regulations he revitalized the United States economy and showed that it can be done if we can just get the dead weight of the permanent bureaucracy off of our backs. That's why they despise him. One man and one man alone, as incredible as it seems, represents the single greatest threat to their dominance of national and world affairs. That's why they hate him. They don't hate him because of his personality or his stupid tweets. <laughs> They hate him because he actually got things done that contradicted official narratives and official policy goals and swept them aside and showed what what, what America could be. This is a, an earthly assessment, of, of course. We're not talking about anything spiritual here. What America could be on the world stage if you just get a president in there who says, well, none of this nonsense, I'm going to do it my way. Mm. Well, you're right. I mean, this whole, all of these things is the most recent one, all seem to be a prosecution in search of a crime. Because at first we had the documents in Mar-a-Lago. The, oh, you have unclassified documents. Well, then they kind of stepped in it because then they found Joe Biden had a whole bunch of documents in his house. So exposed again the hypocrisy. But even with this one, you and I are old enough to remember the 1990s. Do you remember there was a another former president who was actually not a former president at the time, Bill Clinton, who paid $850,000 to a, a woman who, again, made accusations, and Paula Jones. So shouldn't they be going, well, why aren't you arresting Bill Clinton for the same thing? <laughs> well, you know, the payment of the hush money is not illegal. 
and Bragg, the DA, knows that payment of hush money is not illegal. So what's the claim? Well, the claim is that there was a reimbursement to Cohen of the hush money, which he financed by taking out a loan on his house. And the reimbursement was designated as a legal expense. In other words, Cohen submitted a legal bill, which included the 130000 and other things on top of that. They grossed it up to some higher amount, and it was designated a legal expense. So it's just a paperwork crime. <laughs> you, you use the wrong line on your tax return or your disclosure mm. to the Federal Election Commission. The federal prosecutors passed on this case because there is no case. Federal Election Commission said there's no campaign finance violation because as Cohen represented to his attorney, Trump had nothing to do with it, and it didn't involve campaign funds. So what is Bragg doing? He's saying, well, this is a falsified business entry. That's a misdemeanor. So how does he make it a felony? Well, it's a falsified business entry, a misdemeanor, in service of an election law violation, which is a federal felony only potentially. But he has no jurisdiction to prosecute federal felonies. Not only that, there's a huge statute of limitations problem. Because the incident allegedly occurred in 2016. I think the payment was made in 2017, if I'm not mistaken. So the statute on the misdemeanor was only two years. That ran in 2018. There might be a five-year statute. That probably ran last year at, at the latest. So the thing is a joke. It's an absolute joke. And even some prominent Democrat defense attorneys in the Manhattan bar are saying this is really, really bad. This is going to make any legitimate prosecution of Trump look like it's also politically motivated. And there aren't any legitimate prosecutions of Trump. Rico out of Georgia, <laughs> he made a phone call and he said on the phone call, find me 14,000 votes, meaning find the votes that were dumped somewhere. Right. Or that were not properly recorded. That's all he meant by it. That's a Rico case, please. And what's the other case? The other pending case against... Oh, the classified documents, supposedly. The the Mar-a-Lago case, he had classified documents in his office, like every other president has had, and uh, he had authority to declassify, and the the argument is being made, and I think it's a sound argument, that when the president takes documents to his house, and he has ultimate declassification authority, then by virtue of their being placed at his house, they're declassified. Hmm. There's no protocol that a president must follow. He doesn't have to satisfy some bureaucrat of the National Archives. So you have these three potential indictments of Trump. Every one of them is pretextual and frivolous Mm. because they have to get Trump, get Trump at any cost, because Trump is the only living threat to what John Rao would call the grand coalition of the status quo. Well, it reminds me of the famous scene in Man for All Seasons when St. Thomas More is talking to his son-in-law, rather naive but zealous Roper, he says to Roper, you have to respect the law. And he said, would you cut down the law to go after the devil? And Roper says, absolutely, I'd cut down every law to go after the devil. And then Thomas More turns to him and says, and then after you've cut down every law in the country and the devil turns on you, where are you going to hide? That scene has come to me a lot because they seem obsessed like that. So it was obsessed with, you said, of getting Donald Trump that they're willing to break every law, every precedent. I mean, frankly, if I were Joe Biden, which thankfully I'm not, I'd be saying, whoa, wait, this is not a good idea because I'm going to be a former president someday. And if my enemies get in power, I don't want to unleash, open this can of worms, this Pandora's box that everybody just goes and turns the justice system against them. But they seem too stupid to even realize that. Yeah, but I have to say this. 
the argument is, well, if you do it to Trump, then the Republicans can turn it around and, yeah. and we'll do it Democrat. They won't do it. They won't. No, they won't. Well, Republicans won't do what the Democrats do because the Democrats have no shame and no <laughs> principle. The only principle they have is where do we get power and how do we increase our power? And one way to increase power uh, over the rest of us, aside from the ridiculous COVID regimes that we had to live with for almost three years, is to get rid of the political opposition through the weaponization of the justice system. That means not only Donald Trump, but conservative opinion in general. You know, they have this new concept that they're trying to implant in the law called stochastic terrorism. This is the term they're actually using. What is stochastic terrorism? Well, stochastic is a word to describe processes that occur randomly. Okay, so if you're a stochastic terrorist, meaning a conservative, and you publish some opinion that gets other conservatives riled up, because what you're talking about really is outrageous, for example, the COVID regimes or the prosecution and the attempted prosecution of Donald Trump, well, then some conservative out there, some random conservative, might become so angry that he might do something violent. And so basically all conservative opinions are terrorism. As long as someone gets angry enough to do something, you don't even have to prove incitement, which is a call to imminent lawless action. In other words, go and burn down somebody's house or go and lynch somebody. No, any opinion that offends conservatives sufficiently that someone might do something violent is stochastic terrorism. And that's what the FBI is targeting now. He's targeting our opinions. What they're trying to do is chill speech so that we're afraid to say anything really provocative. Hmm. And again, a big part of this is, you know, we haven't really talked about, but has been reported, is this weaponization began with funding from people like George Soros to essentially intervene in local district attorney elections like this one to elect people who don't want to be lawyers, who don't want to be prosecutors, but who want to use the position of district attorney to pursue a political agenda. So don't prosecute real criminals, as many of them vowed to do. Right? That's why they were funded. Because you want to work justice, you know, racial justice or, you know, change the law by not prosecuting. But again, or like this guy Bragg in New York, you know, you get elected not to actually make New York safe, but to prosecute, you know, trumped up misdemeanors against Donald Trump. Well, that's what it's all about. So we have the persecution of anyone who opposes official narratives and the status quo in the state as represented by the attempt going on seven years now to get Trump on something, anything. Mm. And as we're going to indicate in a moment, the same thing is happening in the church. Yes. So speaking of totalitarian takeover, <laughs> uh, there was an interesting article in Gloria TV, which is a good little aggregator of stories. And they bring a story from Italy, which was published in Repubblica.it on March 5th by Dr. Uh, Filippa Di Giacomo, which highlights something that has been a plank of the Francis tyranny called papacy. We've talked a lot of different aspects of, but it really is uh, the persecution, the ostracization of traditional religious orders. The story, that, as they quote from the article in Italy, says it all goes back to essentially Francis, as he likes to do, making fun of contemplative religious orders. So in March of 2018, in uh, a document, Gaute Exultate, Francis says this about, uh, it's really a caricature of traditional contemplative orders, Carmelites, Benedictines. He says, it's not healthy to love silence while fleeing interaction with others. 
To want peace and quiet while avoiding activity. To seek prayer while disclaiming service. So again, he, he mocks the Grand Chartreuse, mocks the Great Benedictine Orders, the Franciscan Contemplatives, on and on. And in fact, this is really a heresy, actually, what he says here. A heresy condemned in the encyclical On Americanism by Pope Leo XIII. Yep. They condemned the idea that the contemplative life, the so-called passive spiritual life, was somehow inferior to getting out and doing stuff, which was the yeah, the act of virtue. The act of virtues exactly. are the only virtues that matter. Then the so-called passive virtues are of no consequence. They're useless. This is the American mindset. You got to get out there and do yes. something. As if those who live in a state of spiritual contemplation and self-abasement in the monasteries and convents are not doing something. What they're doing actually is probably the only thing that's prevented the apocalypse. <laughs> the sacrifice that these people in these religious orders are making. You know, one incident alone in the entire pontificate of this disastrous pope tells you all you need to know about him. Remember when he went down into the crypt in St. Peter's Basilica and he was walking by an altar boy who was oh, yes. like this. He grabbed the altar boy's hands in front of the cameras and rigorously pulled them apart and said, what are your hands stuck together? He mocked a little boy showing reverence for those who had gone before us in the crypt and also for the Roman pontiff who was passing by. Mocked him and pulled his hands apart. First of all, how dare he lay his hands on that little boy without the parents' consent? But then the mockery, the mockery of someone showing reverence for the situation in which he found himself tells you all you need to know about this man. He is an arrogant, hateful ideologue who reveals himself more and more every day as a destroyer. That's what he is. He is a destroyer. Yes, very, very true. But again, as I said, this is the error of Americanism. But the church, again, he says the exact opposite of this. In church law, if you are part of an active order, a teaching order, one that does work in a hospital, the church says, if you decide I want to be a contemplative, you can automatically leave and just go up to a contemplative order because it's a higher calling. Where if you want to go the other way, you need permissions and dispensations, etc. So again, he, he rejects the whole, even law of the church to do that. So it gets worse. So he just sort of mocks them as he's wont to do. But then he has his henchmen, and his henchmen in this case are a Cardinal Braz de Avives, who you may remember is the Cardinal who destroyed the Franciscans of the Immaculata, just totally destroyed them, and Archbishop Jose Rodriguez Carballo. They got together and wrote this document called Core Orans. This is something that not a lot of people have talked about. It didn't get a lot because it doesn't really affect most Catholics. It mostly affects these monasteries. But it is a disaster for these monasteries. It essentially says, number one, the most important thing, they lose their legal independence. So contrary to the erroneous historicism of, you know, fake Protestantism that claims the Catholic Church was this monolithic centralized bureaucracy that had nothing, you know, it was everything but that. There is certainly a monarch, the Pope, but the church always practiced subsidiarity. So local monasteries had autonomy. They had their own governance. They elected their own abbots. They established their own rules. There was a whole system where there was great decentralized power around the church for local communities. Well, what does Koranans want to do? It wants to essentially crush these communities by bringing them into a Soviet. They've got to be affiliated 
brought under the control of a dictator, and then ultimately under the complete financial and other control of the Vatican. That's what this document does to them. According to Di Giacomo, who wrote this article, it's a perverse intention to abolish the autonomy of monasteries, even though cloistered nuns and monks have been free and democratic since the 6th century. So here we get another one of these ironies. The Pope of synodality and decentralization is at the same time got his henchmen taking away the decentralization within the religious orders. He's an absolute dictator. He's also constantly promoting diversity and inclusion in the church. What he really wants is sameness and exclusion. He wants a homogenized church made over according to his image in which everyone is forced to attend the decaying thing we know as the Novus Ordo liturgy, which has emptied the pews such that when you go to a typical Novus Ordo parish today, the typical congregate is over 60. He hates the fact that the Latin mass revival movement is a young person's movement. That the Chartres pilgrimage, 10,000 people marching, from Paris to Chartres, has an average age of about 18 or 19. He can't understand that because he is a doddering remnant of the nostalgia for the the atmosphere that surrounded the Second Vatican Council. I remember reading uh, Wilkins' book on the Second Vatican Council, The Rhine Flows Into the Tiber, where he literally recalls the scent of chestnuts roasting on an open fire in Rome during the council is one of the fond memories he has of that time. So he talks about nostalgia, but it's this Pope who's nostalgic for something that really never was and never will be, which is the springtime of Vatican II. It's been a long winter. The only signs of growth we see, the uh, signs of growth poking up out of the desolate wasteland are the Latin Mass revival groups, the societies of apostolic life, and the congregations that have flocked to them because, as young people have discerned, they want the real thing. They want the real Catholic faith, not this uh, polyester counterfeit that we've had to live with for 60 years. Well, and while we're talking, actually, I'll play. I found the video that you referred to earlier. With Unbelievable. The, uh, you have to see it. People have to see this. This is the man in a nutshell. Who told him? To, look at this. That's arrogance. Such he, treat, he treated those little boys like they were props for the camera. Yes, it was his photo op for his uh, political agenda. Oh. Very true. But again, he seems to have a, a real like he has a hatred for some symbol of piety like that, the little boy. But really, again, for religious orders, and as you say, not just the traditional mass, but the traditional orders, the orders have tried to actually follow the rule written by their founder, keep silence, observe prayer, are the ones that seem to be really targeted, but they're the ones where there's actually vocation. So under this document, one of the orders they've gone after are the Carmelites who have been thriving in this country. They started, they founded a house in Nebraska. They got too full. They went out to Pennsylvania, started a second house. Then there was a convent of uh, Carmelites that was dying in Philadelphia. There were like two old nuns left who were in the octogenarian. And they said, it's been here for, you know, a hundred years. Can you send some of your young nuns here to just to make it survive? And what does Francis's Vatican do? They kick the nuns out. Uh, they make it miserable there so they can't live. They basically adopt rules like you've got to leave the Carmel cloister and go live in an apartment for a while to get some real world experience. And these young girls said, this is not what I signed up for. And they leave. So they'd rather see this monastery that's been in Philadelphia for over a hundred years shut down then have traditional-minded, pious young girls actually take vocation. 
I don't think it's hyperbole to say that we have a Pope who simply hates Catholicism. <laughs> I don't think that's an exaggeration. He wants some kind of new religion. As he himself said, we don't want a new church. We want a different church. So he is the modernist as reformer condemned by St. Pius X in Pascendi, the gaze of whom fixes on everything in the church. There isn't anything that they would leave untouched, as Pius X said. The liturgy, the contemplative life in the seminaries and convents, the formation of priests, all that has to go. Because the modernist as reformer wants to level to the ground everything that has been handed down in terms of the praxis of the church and even the traditional expression of her doctrines and dogmas in place of something different. This is his mission. He is the modernist as reformer. The connection between these two stories, as I said, the deep connection between the deep state and the deep church, is really the hypocrisy of liberalism, right? Because in the state side, you know, it used to be 20, 30 years ago, the liberals, the Democrats, were the ones arguing for protection of the rights of criminals. They were against the FBI. We have to give every constitutional right. And now they've sort of flipped to the other side. Like again, it's it's been alleged that 600 pages were withheld from the grand jury and Trump's lawyers in this. And the grand jury knows that, by the way. Oh, speaking of the hypocrisy, yes. I have something you might yes. find amusing. Hang yes. on one sec. <laughs> I had a T-shirt made of a meme which shows <laughs> just how hypocritical the liberals are. And here it is. Trump is going to cause World War Three. That's what they said. Hold it a little higher. There we go. Trump is going to cause World War III. That's what they said when he ran for office. Right. Now they're saying we must have World War III <laughs> in Ukraine. Yes. Suddenly they are pro-war, pro-deep state, pro-surveillance, pro-FBI, pro-dirty tricks by the government against conservatives. They have no well, principles other than principle of how do I acquire power. Well, again, it's as they're promoting the things they were opposed to. Again, another example I saw the other day, this university in Michigan is going to have five graduation ceremonies, segregating everybody by race. Now, there was actually a lawsuit brought by liberals, by the ACLU, because that's what a university used to do, force people of a black race to have their own graduation because they couldn't come together. So now the liberals are actually enforcing that which their ancestors and liberalism fought against. I mean, it's just that's how insane it's, it's become. But again, the same thing here with Francis. He said, I've come to decentralize the church, to break up the power of the curia, to give local churches. But again, it, it's false. He wants to crush every bit, every local traditional mass community, every religious order, and concentrate power in himself and his henchmen. Well, I think what we're seeing in the church and the state right now, I hate, I hate to sound flippant about it, but this is, yeah. this is true. The paroxysms of a death throw hmm. in both church and state. Now, the church will not die, but the human element will certainly be subjected to terrible depredations hmm. and crises. And we've seen this throughout the history of the church. And this has to be the worst. We see a death spiral in the human element of the church. This pope is determined to force everybody into the same milieu, the Novus Ordo milieu, which is dying on the vine because there's no life in it, no vocation. Mm -hmm. And in the state, we're seeing the total destruction of whatever remained of the moral order. And now you have even the United States military just announcing yesterday that seven-year-old children are able to determine for themselves whether they want puberty blockers and other interventions to transition from one sex to another. What does the United States military have to do with this? Nothing. It's a mental disease. It's a mental disease that's spreading 
like the final stage of rabies throughout the social order. And we see it even in the human element of the church. And there's no recovery from that. It's, it just has to die. So in the church, it will die, but the church will survive. But in the nation state, I don't know what will happen when mm-hmm. that death occurs. We're seeing something, as, as Cardinal Ratzinger said, actually, as, as Pope Benedict said, which is very much like the situation at the time of the fall of the Roman Empire, when all of the structures for moral consensus have collapsed. Mm. It seems that there's nothing left but the total failure of a civilization. Well, very true. The church has the divine promise that the gates of hell will not prevail. No country, the United States of America notwithstanding, has that guarantee. No country is guaranteed to survive. So it is – uh, you're right. What will happen when this collapses is uh, an open question. But again, we have that guarantee for the church. So we know the real church, not that occupiers right now who have seized control of her levers of power, the gates of hell may prevail against them, but not against the true church. So all we can do is cling to what we know to be true, what was true for our ancestors, and leave the rest in God's hands. And also pray for those who are in the Novus Ordo milieu, and there are many good priests Yes, in that milieu. We're not suggesting that the only true Catholics are Latin Mass Catholics. On the contrary, there are some traditionalists who really do not follow the teaching of the faith when it comes yeah. to charity toward others. Michael yes. Matt famously called them the ugly traditionalists, whereas in the Novus Ordo milieu, you have many courageous priests who are doing what they can to pass on an unreconstructed faith mm. in spite of the opposition of their bishops and the tyrant who currently occupies the chair of Peter. Mm. And we're not suggesting that we are the enlightened ones, we are the pure ones, and everyone else is more or less corrupted. That's not the situation at all. You'll find the church, the true church, surviving everywhere in this place yes. or that place because yes. the Holy Ghost is involved here and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Absolutely true. So definitely pray for priests. Pray for those priests that they have the perseverance to keep doing that. Well, there you go. It's been a while since we're together, as I said, but we had a lot to talk about. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, Please help the Fatima Center by subscribing to the channels, to liking the video, commenting on it. That helps generate more people to listen to our conversation. So good to talk with you again, Chris, and God willing, see you in a couple of weeks. Yes. Take care. God bless. Church and State with Brian McCall and Christopher Ferrara is brought to you by the Fatima Center. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved. The message of Fatima is the solution for our time. Only she can help us. It is therefore urgent that we live according to Our Lady's message and share it with everyone we know. For more resources and to support this vital apostolate with your donation visit our website, Fatima.org, or call us at 1-800-263-8160. Our Lady of the Rosary, pray for us. Long live Christ the King.